Welcome to the Uncovered Podcast, where we take a deeper look into the ideas, companies, and entrepreneurs that are creating the future and uncover the stories you haven't heard. Uncovered is presented by PJC, an early-stage venture capital firm committed to supporting the next generation of entrepreneurs. We're back with another episode of the Uncovered Podcast. I'm Matt Hayes, and I'm here with my co-host, Rob May. And we have we have the pleasure of having, having Mariana Matas on our show today, who is the CEO and founder of Biobot Analytics. How are you doing today, Mariana? I'm good. Thank you guys for the invitation. Yeah, of course. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming by. Um, you know, the, I think the best way to kick off these episodes is to learn a little bit more about you know what you're doing. So, what does uh, what does Biobot do? In Biobot, we are building technology in order to measure human health indicators through wastewater analysis. This is a type of data that maybe people don't really think about, but every time we use the toilet. We are sending away valuable information about our health, about our behavior. You know, think about infectious diseases, the drugs or pharmaceutical products that we consume, dietary information. All of that is actually excreted in our urine and stool and is aggregated in city sewers. And nobody is looking at that data right now. It's just considered waste. So what we do is we build the technology in order to collect that data from sewers and then we make it available for public health use to government agencies. It's really interesting, right? Because it's basically like a robot that you drop in the sewer that swims around and and then you pull it back up and then you do an analysis on it. And so has it been a selling point for you that like, because you can't identify any given person. So like if you look, you're looking at opioids or, or nutrition or whatever you're looking at, and like you can't pin it back to a person, but you can look at trends in areas, correct? Correct. Yes. Our first product is to look at opioids, consumption of opioids, both pharmaceutical opioids as well as a more street uh, or illicit opioids to understand what substances are being used in a particular community. But a big selling point is that we can do it anonymously. And the raw data in the rawest form that we collect is already anonymous. You cannot tie it back to a specific person, to a specific household, but you still have the value of being able to look at trends over neighborhoods and trends over time. And so how do companies, or not companies, you sell primarily to governments, cities, states, whatever. How do they use this data? So right now, this type of data is completely new to them. So far, they've only been able to look at overdose death records, which, as you can imagine, is super reactive. It represents a very small fraction of the population that are misusing or abusing opioids. So we're basically discovering with them the applications for the first time. And what we have seen is that with this new type of data, they can choose the best program or resource to a specific community and therefore use their limited government dollars in an efficient way to drive down overdoses. That was, in fact, what we found with our pilot city. In six months of working with us, they reduced overdoses by 40%. So on day one, when you started this company, kind of like, can you go back from there? You know, how did you come up with this technology? Um, you know, what is it that you're actually putting into the sewers and, and where did that kind of idea come from? Because I'd imagine that when you're when you were kind of looking at the technology, there were a lot of different potential use cases. 
Yeah, absolutely. It started as a research project at MIT. I was a PhD student there in the Department of Biological Engineering with Professor Eric Ohm, who studies the human microbiome. So the community of bacteria that live in our guts and that influence our human health. And the question that came up was, what happens if you look at the microbiome of a city? Mm. If now you're looking at wastewater as our collective microbiome, what can you learn about health? What can you predict? You know, can you look at um, infectious outbreaks before you see them in the hospital? Can you understand things that otherwise you cannot measure? So uh, I was the first person in that project. Um, and through that project is also that I met my co-founder, uh, Nusha Gailey. And we worked together for three years, just developing technology, um, running proof of concept pilots in the Boston area, and eventually decided to found Pivot. Which is really interesting. And so, you know, just full disclosure, like I'm an angel investor in Biobot. And what interested me about it is that is sort of what you said about the microbiome of a city, right? I describe it to people as the place this could go is it could be an analytics dashboard for the health of the city, for the nutrition, for disease, for drug use, for, for all this kind of stuff. Um, and you can look at it neighborhood by neighborhood. And that allows you to target interventions, target advertising, target, you know, police, um, you know, any, anything like that. So one of the things that I, that I find really interesting, you guys have a very unique founding team. So, um, so you're a scientist by training, your co-founder is an architect, uh, by training and, um, and you're an immigrant. And so talk a little bit about like what those things have been like. Um, what, what's the transition like from immigrant scientists at MIT to like, you're, you're not the profile of people that the people thought would start a company. Absolutely. So first, you're right, we are a very unique team. I am a biologist, a scientist by training. My co-founder is an architect who's specialized in the space of smart cities. And we came together with really this very unique combination to create a unique product. And um, both of us are immigrants. Nusha is from Canada. I am from Mexico. So we also have a lot of uh, this very global and international perspective coming into it. We both have lived in Europe as well as other certain parts of Asia. So we really came at it also looking at it, at this as a global opportunity, which I think it, it's very cool. And early on, definitely it was not easy to start because there were just many questions from, you know, what visas and what immigration uh, setup you need to have to be able to start a company. But over time, we realized that actually there's more and more people like us starting companies. So you start finding support in each other. And we figured out that actually, you know, there was a way to do things and it was feasible. But early on, actually, there were many questions if we could even do it as immigrant students really coming into the U.S., can we start a company? And talk a little bit about how, how did you handle your early sales for this, right? Because you're selling to governments, which is a complicated, longer sales cycle. Um, it's a place that's harder to get budget for things, particularly new things um, that, they, that they're not doing before. So, so you have to evangelize. You have to convince them this is going to be valuable, that it'll actually work. 
I mean, if there's any group that gets in trouble for wasting money, it's it's governments, right? So they have all these processes in place. Like, ha- did you realize that going in? Do you wish you had done something different? <laughs> and uh, and and ha- how did you handle finding those first paying customers? So our first few customers, you know, our very first one was an inbound, actually an inbound request from uh, a city down in North Carolina. Um, and they were, you know, just very happy to be the first ever Biobot customer and to be the test bed for our technology and to really help us refine the, the robot, you know, and every piece of the technology. But then after that initial proof of concept, our first um, customers that we acquired were through personal connections here in the Massachusetts area. So in particular, for example, introductions from MIT professors that they make to certain people within government so that we could just get at our foot, you know, in the door and be able to tell them what we do. And you're right. I think that these first sales are all based on believing in the vision because it's not like we have a lot of, you know, traction or evidence. This is totally new. So people are buying into the vision of what this transformative technology can do for them. Going forward, what we see ourselves doing is now based on all the learnings, kind of make it more of a process. But so far, it's been basically my co-founder and I coming to meet with people like Governor Baker to teach them what we do and, you know, get them excited about this future, which has been really cool, by the way. I have... That's what been one of my favorite parts yeah. of the journey. Um, You'll be ready to run, run for office after you sell this company. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be well connected. Yeah, just just you know, getting to meet people within government and just seeing how much they actually achieve, just given the where they start from. Basically, not a lot of technology and all of that. Your product is so unique. How did you decide who to hire? So after just you and your co-founder, I mean, there's this. there really isn't a script for this. And so yeah. su- super unique product. Who did you go, Who did you hire first? Yeah. So our first, out of five people that we are in the company today, um, four of those people came out of the MIT project. So we have, basically, we're a bunch of scientists still to this day. And each of us is basically doing both like the very technical work required to build and deliver the product as well as, you know, just the more mundane operations work that over time you hope to pass on to others, (laughs) you know? So I would say we were lucky that we had that project going on at MIT that helped us recruit like very smart people that can basically wear many hats. But, But yeah, I agree. I think that overall, like this is a very, very niche scientific field. We're actually one of two teams in the U.S. that is doing this research, the other one being in Arizona University, uh, and one of like, you know, 20 worldwide doing this type of research. So um, interesting. And so what's the actual process? Like, so you pull the robot out of the sewer and and then what happens between then and the time that like, and what does this, what does the city get? You, you analyze this stuff. How do you handle, analyze it? And then do they get a dashboard? Do they get a paper report? Like, do they get a book? Like what's, how does this work? At the moment they get a paper report um, that we actually assemble pretty much by hand. <laughs> and our vision is that that will become an online dashboard that they can log into. Uh, but right now it's that paper report and they get it 
three weeks after we collect the samples. So basically right now, um, they collect the sample, they ship the sample to us, that takes one day, and then in our lab, we have one chemist, and it takes her basically 10 days to do the analysis of all the samples that come back. And then we take like two or three days to put together the report. Uh, this is already like, it sounds a little slow, but this actually to our customers is already the fastest that they have ever had data back to them because usually um, overdose death data is delayed by at least three months. Wow. But generally it's more like a 12 to 18 month delay. So having data from the same month on their table is like already completely new and transformative to them. That's really cool. When you started the company, you know, day one, how did you think about, you know, capitalizing the company, fundraising? Did you start small? Did you try to raise a big seed round just given that the vision is so large? How, how did you think about that? There's a lot of options. And so. Yeah. So first, um, thanks to the MIT network, we were already in a pretty good position to raise a seed round, basically through people that we met, you know. Rob was one of those early investors that we met through the MIT community, and we had, um, you know, enough interest to put together a round. But we decided to go and do Y Combinator in San Francisco, given that both my co-founder and I are first-time founders. So we wanted to, you know, get to expand our community, learn from others, you know, really like accelerate our development as founders. And then through basically the YC demo day and all of those activities, we ended up raising a two and a half million seed round, which basically allowed us to build our product and deliver that first technical validation. And now we are racing again to operationalize more that process, be ready to scale, and basically be ready to expand more across the East Coast. So right now we already grew from one customer, one city to eight. And what we hope is that over the next like year, we can reach more in the order of like 30, being like 30 munici municipalities by the time we raise our Series A. And so coming from a science background, nobody on your team being sort of like a business person or having been through this before, you know, I, I actually think that's a that's a very wise target, right? I think you've you've raised in a good way. I think you're thinking about your customers in the right way. You're not trying to get you know 300 cities next year or or whatever. Like, you know, how have you how have you scaled that learning curve of figuring all this out? Um, and 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 one of the hardest things that I think you know, being a two time entrepreneur is you come into this world and you're surrounded by all these like advisors and investors who are like smart successful people and they all give you different advice and you're like wait I don't I don't understand it so how, how do you how do you learn and how do you triage that and make decisions that's that's difficult <laughs> that's one of the most difficult parts of being a founder is uh, like there's obviously a hundred things that are broken in your startup right that's why it's a startup right and then there's people giving you advice on maybe which parts you should prioritize when in fixing or, or scaling versus others, um, which then dictates how you allocate your resources, which are limited. You want to make the most out of them so that your next race is great. So I would say all of that process, it's, I, all I can say is like it's difficult. It's something that you have to 
be very aware of. I'm lucky that I have a co-founder, so we can, we have that cycle of, you know, feedback and discussion of options between us. I think if it was on my own and I would have to decide how to allocate resources based on advice would be much more difficult. But having that other person, you know, to talk about it again and again to make a decision quickly, I would say, yeah, that's pretty important. I, I would say that's the only thing I've learned so far, that you need at least one other person that is equally invested in the business to discuss and make decisions. And what's been the most exciting part for you so far? What have you enjoyed most? Because I, I assume you didn't see yourself on this path when you were applying for PhD programs. I mean, the, the whole experience to me has been like just fascinating. Like the same reasons that attracted me to science are is what, you know, is compelling to me about being a founder. Like it's constant learning, which in this case, it's not just by technical knowledge. You have all these other dimensions of learning on top of that. Um, it's the ability and like this aim to make an impact to make a difference in the world, you know, to make something that pe everybody in the world knows about. You know, it's, I would say it's very similar, like the motivation, um, but I like it even more, I guess, than, yeah. than just being a pure scientist. Well, it's one of the things that I always, you know, there's these different theories on fundraising and some people will say, look, you want to run a really tight process and you want to have all your ducks in a row and then you want to go out and have all your meetings in just a few weeks and push everybody through the process and not talk to VCs the rest of the time. Um, and as you get to later rounds, that might be a smart strategy. But I think in the earlier rounds, you know, you mentioned learning. And I think one of the biggest reasons that like at PJC or, or personally as an angel or whatever that we, we reject companies sometimes is, is the team or the founders, right? Um, that we just don't have faith. There's lots of people that want to go do this. And it's a really hard thing to do. And one of the things that I think most VCs look for is how well the founding team learns. Um, and so I always encourage founders, go have regular check-ins with these people, even if you're not raising, even if you're raising and they say no, because when when you have these check-ins and the investors see like, wow, you're learning a lot, you're growing, whatever, they get to the point where they're like, I believe you're going to figure this out, right? Or if you have figured it out or, or getting close, like I know that you're the kind of person that can continue to grow and scale because it's a really, really, really hard thing to do. Yeah, so. I agree. And it's also easy to kind of get lost in the day-to-day -day because you have so many things to do and, you know, you basically set up your milestones and what you wanted to achieve maybe like a couple months ago. So you're still busy doing that plus putting out fires that you didn't even imagine, right? So you can get fully consumed by the day-to-day. -day. And one good thing about, I, I also like to talk to investors even if I'm not fundraising, is because they they give you that kind of reality check. You know, it's like taking a step back and again, zooming out, seeing where we're going. Does it make sense? What is building the most value for us? So um, yeah, I would, I would recommend actually that people do take conversations and not only with investors, but with other founders. There's a lot of people in the community. When you're painting that picture of the future, how do you view Biobot and, and how do you articulate that to investors or advisors and, and kind of like how do you think about the world in 10 years as it relates to Biobot? Well, what we imagine is that every city in the world will have smart wastewater infrastructure. And this will become, you know, synonymous 
with wastewater infrastructure will be having a platform to extract data. We just think it's too valuable of an asset to be ignored. And people will revamp their wastewater infrastructures with this type of technology. And that will enable basically building a database about human health and about human behavior that we couldn't have imagined like a few years ago, where now, you know, knowing what people are eating, knowing if there's like a pesticide in our food that we don't even know about, you know, just discovering so many things that affect our health will be there. And eventually what we imagine is this type of information and intelligence will enable us to avoid altogether epidemic level problems. Hopefully we won't have another opioid epidemic, right? That's the hope. Right. Hopefully we can stay ahead of that. Yeah, but it, it'll, particularly the longer that you guys do this, it'll be so valuable to see these transitions over years and decades, right? Because things happen all the time where, you know, something that we believed was good for us or a study that came out that said, oh, you should eat more of this. I mean, like you look at something like coffee or eggs where they keep going back and forth on whether it's good or not, right, for you. Yeah. And, um, yeah, you know, and it turns out like, like, oh, the first study was false, but then the first study to reverse the false study wasn't peer-reviewed. And, and you know, you you guys might be able to actually have data and see some of that early on and and look at trends in diets. And it's, it's really going to be fascinating. I think it's such a big opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there are several forces at play here. We have a record number of people moving into urban areas, right? Just right. young people like cities. And we have obviously population growth. We have more global populations that move. We have climate change, temperature that basically changes even what type of bacteria and diseases you can expect in a particular area. For example, right now, we don't expect to have Zika here. Right. Will that be true in a few years? Right. We, we don't know because yeah. all these patterns are changing. So I think that there's going to be a huge need to have that proactive intelligence and, you know, basically help our populations stay healthy. So one of the things that we like to ask all the founders that we have on, you know, as we as we wrap up is this podcast is called The Uncovered Podcast. We're trying to find ideas and entrepreneurs and companies that maybe um, are a little bit under the radar and, and, and things like that. Like, what's what's your what's your uncovered idea? What's the thing that that you've experienced that you didn't expect or that you wish somebody had told you or your thing that you would like to tell other founders who are thinking about coming on this journey or, or some 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 secret like that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, many, many, actually many scientists and grad students come to me to chat about their ideas. And they come to me basically saying, do you think, you know, my idea is good enough to start a company or like, you know, what else should I go and get this job while I refine my idea before I start a company? There's a lot of this sentiment of not being ready not being ready yourself in terms of skills or like and or your idea not being ready to be a company. And I think the thing that I always tell everyone is that, well, I think if you want to start a company, you should just go and do it. Because number one, nothing, no job is going to prepare you to be a founder. There's so many skills that you will just learn on the job. And second, an idea is never born fully formed. You never wake up with a eureka moment of, 
oh, this is the billion dollar idea and company that I need to build, right? It starts from some sort of gut feeling, some passion, some kind of partially formed idea that over time gets refined until one day it makes sense, maybe, right? So, so I always tell them, just go for it. Like, don't overthink it if you really want to do it. I mean, yeah, I'll put Matt on the spot here. So you and I look at a couple thousand companies a year together. Uh, have you ever seen a company that was totally ready and had all their <laughs> boxes checked? No. And one of our one of our mottos is it can never, you know, it's never too early. So I think, uh, you know, I think we see plenty of ideas that are not fully formed. So I think that's a <laughs> yes. you know, very valid point for founders. But I do think there, there are things founders should should pay attention to. Right. Um there are businesses that I call sort of like rifle shot businesses where like everything has to go right to even make it a sort of mediocre outcome. And that might not be worth your time to put into it unless you just want the learning process and everything else. Everything's going to be harder. Um, you know, when you when you cozy up to fast growing markets or big markets or new disruptive technologies, even when in those situations, even when you don't have it all figured out, you um, you can make a lot of mistakes and, you know, market tailwinds will help and they'll they'll put you in a good space. And so um so, so that is one of the things I think people need to think about. Yeah, that's so true. Um, as you, yeah, some opportunities are more forgiving of your mistakes yes. as a founder than others. And I guess, yeah, the only the other thing to keep in mind also, again, like if you find a co-founder, you already are in a so much better position than many people out there. So definitely also the decision depends on that. Do you have that other person or people that gives you energy and wants to work with you. Yeah. You, you really need someone to jump with, I think. And even, you know, when people come in and pitch us and there are two of them, it's like, I, I just think it, you know, the day that someone says I'll do it with you makes it very real. And I think that's really important. Yeah. yeah. And so last question for you, would, you know, if there's, if there's people listening that think what you do is interesting, um, how do they find out more information and, and who, who is a good potential customer for you right now? We have our website, which is, uh, you can just Google Biobot Analytics and it will come up. We are on Twitter. You know, you can find us there as well on LinkedIn. And right now, what we're looking for is basically people doing public health. This can be within a government agency or, you know, within a company, but, you know, you are delivering public health services out there. So... Uh, come talk to us in particular, anybody looking at opioids, looking, you know, interested in helping out with this big epidemic costing so many lives. You know, there are ways that we can work together. We have like many ways to work with other people. So just get in touch. Just North America for now or worldwide? At the moment, U.S. and Canada. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Good. Well, Mariana, thanks for coming on the program. Um and those of you listening, thank you for uh, thank you for your time and attention. If you have guests you'd like us to have on the podcast or questions you'd like us to ask future guests, please send those to podcast at pjc.vc. And I hope you listen to our other episodes. Thanks for listening to the Uncovered Podcast. To learn more about PJC and the Uncovered Podcast, visit us at www.pjc.vc or email us at podcast at pjc.vc.